Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Guys, I am excited for today. We are, we're actually launching into a series, and if, if we're going to name the series anything, I would probably name it C1, um, because what we're going to do over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to talk about why we talk about celebrate Jesus, live in community, share our story, and make a difference. Because we say two phrases a lot, we say them a lot. Um, we say our mission not as often as we say those four things, but our mission here at C1 is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So a church doesn't get to mess with the mission. God established the mission for the church in the Great Commission. That is, that is final. We don't get to mess with what God's already established. That is His. And so we just took and said, okay, Let's take and and make that our mission. That's our mission, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we put the word growing in there because if we just said lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that makes it sound like, well, you have a relationship, boom, we're done with you. No, we want people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That means if you've been a follower of Christ for five minutes or for 50 years, You need a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This side of eternity, we always need a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And even when we see Jesus in all his glory on the other side of eternity, our relationship with him will ever be growing because we can spend eternity with him and still never grasp the the magnitude of who he is. So we need a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. How does that play out here, though? How are, as as C1, the church, us, how are we going to accomplish that? Now, when you break it down into individual lives, it can look different. Some of you guys uh, might invite people into your homes regularly and just uh, be really good neighbors with people. Um, Some of you guys uh, might just share your faith. Some, like, I I don't know, like, individually, but as a corporate setting, C1 church, how we accomplish that is we celebrate Jesus, we live in community, we share our story, and we make a difference. And so, how did that come about? I want to give a little brief history. As you all know, Amy and I came here at the last Sunday of March of 2019. Best decision ever on our end. I don't know, you guys are like, well, well, we'll see. You know, we're still determining that. No, uh, I love you guys. I love you guys. You are my people. You are my tribe. I love you guys. And, but before we ever got to that point, the Lord started dealing with me in my heart about the function of the church. And what I've seen in ministry, I've, I've seen every church has a mission statement. Every church has a, uh, a vision or strategy statement. Like, you know, that, that's like pastoring 101. And, and, and every, every, every pastor preaches a mission, uh, a, a, a message on, on it, and he says something like, the, he quotes the scripture, without vision people perish, which is true. We can't just be wandering in a fog. We need to go in a direction. But... What I've seen so often, though, is, and I've never actually seen a church that has a bad mission statement. I've never seen a church that has a bad vision statement. Usually, they're, they're all, I mean, actually, always, they're always biblically sound. They're always like, every time I read one, I'm like, ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. I get that, I get that ooze. Ooh, yeah, man, that's good. Like, I've never read one that's bad. But what, what, I, what, what the Lord really started wrestling in me, though, is fluff. Fluff. Because what I've seen, though, is churches will have a really good mission statement and vision statement, but they don't walk it out. Or 
they, they have a hard time accomplishing all of it. And that really wrestled with me. And there was one phrase when I was at CBC that I still remember, and I don't even remember what class it was from, but I remember the phrase, because it was that was like 10 years ago. And my professor, I believe it was Cal Pencombe, he said, the function of the church is to glorify God, edify the body, and win the lost. Those three things. That is what the church exists for, period. And, and as I kept thinking about that phrase, and then looking at different things, and this is before... Um, I, I knew God was leading me to be a lead pastor. This is when I was still a student pastor. I thought maybe God was leading me to another church to be a student pastor. and um, But that was just in my head. And I was like, man, I, I just, I, and I would, and I, as I was praying, I would talk to friends and ask them about their mission and their vision and everything like that. And I'm like, how do you play that out? Like, well, you know, like there was, there was like some churches were killing it. Some churches were like, well, it's there. Um, I thought, there's a lot of fluff here. What if we got back to fundamentals? And as a basketball player, my mind operates in fundamentals. Now, you can't, probably can't tell by looking now, but at one point, this wasn't there. And uh, I was a basketball player. And I played basketball from the time I was in fifth grade all the way through my senior year of college. And... Uh, there wasn't a practice in basketball where we didn't go over fundamentals. We did fundamental dribbling drills. We did layup drills. I mean, the stuff that I learned in fifth grade, that was what a good portion of our practice was in college. Fundamentals. And I thought, how can fundamentals work in all these other areas of, menace, uh, of life, sports and th things like that, but how come no one does it in the church world? And like the churches that do stick to the basics, stick to the fundamentals, man, God's blessing them. They're growing and, and they're, they're making a huge impact in their communities. And so I, uh, I just started wrestling with that. So I came here and I thought, all we're going to be about, I, we're going to be about glorifying God, edifying the body, and winning the lost. That's what we're going to be about. Those three things. But... How we settled on celebrate Jesus, live in community, share our story, and make a difference. Well, glorify, edify, and reach, or win, or whatever you want to say. If, if you don't grow up in church, they sound like Christianese. Glorify, that's not a word that you use in everyday language. Edify is not really a word that you use in everyday language. And by actually keeping that language, we would... Uh, not accomplish the very mission that we want to do, which is lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So what we did as a board, uh, Ben and I, Amy, we started wordsmithing, working it around, tossing it around, and, and it, it was a beautiful collective effort of figuring out how we can capture, glorify, edify, and reach into a more palatable statement. So if a person, say we throw it on a shirt one day, which I would love to do. If they read that shirt or read our sign or whatever, they'd be like, dude, I could, I'm all about celebrating Jesus. Uh, I, I, I like to live in community. Um, share our story. Well, I have a story. I want, we wanted something that people that are far from Jesus can relate to. And then we threw in make a difference because if you accomplish the first three, you will make a difference. And make a difference also has to do with our, our mission here at the church on, on a Sunday morning. When these doors are open, you can make a difference on a Sunday morning by volunteering. We need volunteers in the kids area. We need volunteers at the door. We need, you know what I'm saying? Right now we're, we're, we're in a weird season because of our, our, this national pandemic, actually global pandemic, but that will end, and you can make a difference here. But today, I, I wanted to, to give you that history, 
And I want to settle in on celebrate Jesus. And I want to talk about what it means to celebrate Jesus. Because we say it often, but do we really think about celebrating Jesus? And it's more than just what we just did. Like, I would say corporately, as everyone gathers together, our main way to celebrate Jesus as a corporate body would be Sunday morning. We could also celebrate Jesus through life groups. But there's, there's individual responsibilities when it comes to celebrating Jesus. So I'm actually going to read today, we're going to read together, we're going to read the, the sum total of Romans chapter 5. It's a beautiful chapter, and um, honestly, I might just go grab that mic and drop it afterwards, because I don't really need to add anything to Romans 5. It's beautiful. But what I am going to try to do, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is I'm going to try to give you overflows of what celebrating Jesus looks like when we celebrate him. This is what will happen in your life. Okay? So let's just set our expectations at, and let's just agree to let the Holy Spirit work on us. And we're going to get into Romans chapter 5, and we're going to have a good time, all right? Air high five. Let's do this. Therefore, so if you want to know, <laughs> whenever you see a therefore, you've got to ask yourself what it's there for. If you want to know that question, Go read chapter 4. Um, it's a great... I'm telling you, Romans is my one of my favorite books in the Bible because it, it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. It just... He builds off of... Builds off of... Like, um, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because... Uh, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. So I want, I want you to stop right there for a second, and let's think about this. This is present tense. You are, if you are a follower of Christ, you profess faith in Jesus, and you've made him Lord of your life, this is your current reality. You are in a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And, and here's what we got to get into our heads, especially in a cancel culture, in a, in a, in a, in a right now culture. We got to get it into our heads that spiritual realities are the greater realities. That's why Paul was able to write, I'm free in Christ while being locked up in prison because spiritual and, uh, and, and freedom that Christ gives and the liberation that Christ gives has nothing to do so often with physical realities. We want it to transcend into the physical and it can and it does. But more importantly than that, it it, it, it works on the emotional, it works on the heart, it works on like the, the, the mental. God can set you free on so many levels, more than just the physical reality of where you are right now. So whether you come from a, 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 a family where they, they put a silver spoon in your mouth, and if that's you, please come talk to me after, so I'm joking. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm joking. But, or, or, or you, you, you know, you grew up with dirt floors. It doesn't matter because the reality of your, your life is based in Christ. And we, we are in a place of undeserved privilege. We now stand because we have a relationship with God Almighty. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We're not safe for this earth. We're safe for eternity to come. And God blesses us so generously while we're here. But yeah, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. So this 
This is something that's not normal in, in life apart from a walk with God. This is something that only God can do in us. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. When you place your hope in Jesus, no matter what your reality you're facing is, God does not disappoint. You might lose your, your, your family. You might lose your, your car, your home. You might lose your health. But let me tell you that when we place our hope in Jesus, it does not disappoint. But because God is looking at your eternity and, and God's saying, do I want to bless you here? Yeah, but focus on me regardless because I have something greater for you. So we can have joy knowing that God's working through. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, but that's how God operates in his timing. It's always at just the right time. It's always at just the right time. I want, I want us to, to make mental note of this. Repeat after me, at just the right time. Remember at just the right time. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And that, that whole little statement right there, we, we so often just say Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us while we were sinners. God displayed his love for us in this. But that statement right before it, like, no one's willing to die for a good person. Like, and, and, uh, and it was common back then in, 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 in that culture. But the, 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 the reality is no one's going to volunteer to die if you're just an average good person. Like, if you were an exceptionally amazing person, like, whoa, dude, that person deserves to live at the cost of my life. That's how they measured, you know, like, I want, I want you to get what he's really saying here. He's saying that person lived such an astounding, and amazingly awesome life. He was making such a difference in his community. He was, he, he was fair. He was especially an amazing, good person. Then someone might say, no, he deserves to live um, over me. That's what Paul is saying. And that, that happened in that culture. But just the average Joe, that, I mean, he didn't break the law, but he didn't really make a difference. Everyone's like, well, that stinks for them. But God, he flips it. We always talk about this as an inverted kingdom. God flips it. In Romans 5.8, that's why that, that in contrast to um, uh, 7, it carries more weight. Because while we were sinners, while we were utterly, utterly unacceptable, gross, our, our best efforts on our best days look like filthy rags before God, our righteousness is unattainable, we can't get to heaven, we can't have a right relationship with God, while we were utterly disgusting to God, Christ died for us. No one would die for a criminal. And that's what we were. We were lawbreakers by birth. And yet Christ died for us. And it makes, that, what, it, makes it carry more weight when you understand what he's really saying. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, he not only died for us while we were sinners, he died for us while we were his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So the death of Jesus is important. He paid the penalty for our sin upon the cross. But the resurrection of Jesus is what sets us free free and gives us life 
So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. So I want to stop at, at, at 12 and let's just, just take a breath. We're halfway done. Air high five. Paul makes a transition in the middle of this chapter to c- compare and contrast the first Adam to the second Adam. Uh, um, and uh, the NLT doesn't call Christ the second Adam, but um, some translations do. And the reason why um, some translations do, and, and, and uh, they call Jesus the second Adam, Adam was created without the proclivity to sin. He did not have a nature within him to sin. Okay? He could, he could easily live his life without wanting to sin. That was not his innate nature. Okay? When Adam was made, he did not have this proclivity to sin. He was perfect. Okay? That doesn't mean he can't be tempted. We clearly know the result of his temptation. It was actually that woman, right? No, I'm joking. Um, we clearly know the result of his temptation. He did fall into to temptation. So just because he didn't have a proclivity or a natural instinct to want to sin, it doesn't mean that he, didn't, he couldn't sin. He did sin. And he subjected all of creation to sin. Like, I want you to get this. Everything in creation is subject to sin because of Adam. Trees die because of Adam. Everything that dies, stars explode because of Adam. The wages of sin is death. The overflow of sin is death, Romans 6.23 tells us. The overflow of sin. Death was not a thing before sin entered the world. So everything that dies is the result of Adam, where he compares Christ to him, though, because Christ was born of the Spirit through, the, through Mary, a virgin womb. So Christ, too, was born without the proclivity to sin. Like you and I, we were born with this innate proclivity to sin. I don't have to teach my son to disobey. He does it. I don't have to teach my, my daughter to lie. She does it. We don't model that before her. She just does it because that's her innate ability. Like humans, in, like left to their own demise, that's what they do. They sin. But Christ, being the second Adam, was born through the Spirit in the womb of a virgin. He had to enter this world in a fully human body, but he was born without this proclivity. He could still be tempted, just like the first Adam, but because he did not fall into temptation, that's why his sacrifice was so profound, and he, he, he fixed what the first Adam messed up. And, and so Paul starts this comparison right here in verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, and everyone sinned. So, if you say, are you telling me babies are sinners? Yes, they're born that way. Well, how do you know? Because babies die. If babies weren't sinners, they wouldn't die. Sin leads to death. Yes, people sinned before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there, uh, there was not any law to break. Still, everyone died. So even though God didn't give, like, from the time of Adam to Moses, there was no righteous law so they could live their life by. But people still died because sin was in the world. They still had this proclivity. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to the many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And 
the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. From Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we, were, we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused the death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's sin, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know that's the most scripture I've read in a while. But I wanted us to understand the why we celebrate Jesus. And that will translate into every area of our life. Why do we celebrate corporately? Because of that. Of what Jesus did. Like, I could have read, I could have read the, the account of Jesus on the cross through any of the Gospels. And that would have been enough. He's worthy of celebrating. Absolutely. Even if he never did anything for us, we should celebrate Jesus. But the reality is this is truly, it, it breaks down what the, what the cross and the resurrection did for us in a theological sense. So that's why we celebrate. Paul continues. I'm only going to read two scriptures more. Bear with me. Paul continues. In Colossians 3, 16 to 17. And he gives us an idea of how to celebrate. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So not only does he give us why we celebrate, he turns around and, and in Colossians, he gives us how do we celebrate. And so I want to give you one central thought. If you don't remember anything today, if you don't remember a single word I say, if you fell asleep after the, the prayer, I, I, I don't know. The one thought, I'm going I'm to wake you up. Wake up! Okay, now, 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 now we'll get the, we'll get the, the one thought. I want you to walk away with is always look for ways in your life to celebrate Jesus. Look for ways in your life to celebrate Jesus. If, if you don't walk away with anything else, I want us to walk away with this because it's more than just this. We celebrate Jesus. It has to be more than this. As a church, we celebrate Jesus on a Sunday morning. But as individuals, we celebrate Jesus walking down those steps. We celebrate Jesus when, when we stub our toe. Sometimes you guys use creative words to celebrate Jesus then. But um, we, we celebrate Jesus, period. That's who we are. It, it, it's not what we do. Celebrating Jesus must transcend from what we do to who we are. It has to be a part of our identity. It has to be a part of our DNA. It has to be a part of, of our culture as a, as a collective. And it has to be a part of our mindset as an individual. This is who we are. Ryan Tatham celebrates Jesus, period. That's not something I do. That's who I am. That has to be where we're at. And when it gets to that point, Man, it makes it so much easier to jump on board corporately. 
It makes it, yeah, and, and I'm telling you, like everyone expresses this differently. And I, and I, I just, Paul gives some things. You know, we sing, we, we pray. I, I love to sing. My daughter told me the other day I was singing in the car. And she said, Daddy, stop singing. You're the worst singer ever. <laughs> Straight up, quote, I love to sing. I, 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 I love to worship. I love to pray. I love to thank God. It, it plays itself out in so many things. If, if you walk in on me while I'm alone, you might think I'm talking to myself. But so often, honestly, this was coming out of my mouth. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my wife. Glory. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for your cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Like, I almost say it. I don't know if you can say that too much. But there's so many different ways. Uh, I'm not saying that one's better than the other. I'm saying we just got to determine in our hearts to celebrate and let it play out in our lives. And so what I want to do now is I want to give you three thoughts of what celebrating Jesus will look, what, what it will do for you when you celebrate, okay? The overflow of celebrating Jesus. These three thoughts are straight out of Romans chapter 5, and you might have pulled a ton more. These are just the three that popped out at me first. So as I read Romans chapter 5, I prayed over it, and, and I was thinking context, why we celebrate, but as we celebrate, these are the three thoughts that popped out of me. I would encourage you guys to go back and read Romans chapter 5 and see if you guys can mine out any others. I, I, I would definitely, I would love for that to happen. That would be like a great Bible study because Romans chapter 5 is so loaded um, um, with, with, with nuggets of, of wisdom and truth. So the first thought, the overflow of celebrating Jesus in your life. Celebrate, celebrating Jesus will remind us to rejoice in adversity. Celebrating Jesus will remind us to rejoice in adversity. Paul launches this beautiful chapter with this, we can, we can be joyful in trial and tribulation. And I sum those two words up in adversity. We can be joyful through it. And that's not something that comes natural to anyone. No one has a car accident and goes, praise God. This is the best thing that happened to me this week. No one does that. But when we take and celebrating Jesus becomes part of who we are, we can, we, that means we let go of control and we, we're able to step back and say, I'm going to celebrate Jesus despite this and see how he works it out. Because I know that through this, he's going to develop in me something. And he says, we know that, and, and he says, we know that, I'm, I'm just going to go back and read it real quick. Because our faith, Christ has brought us into, we can rejoice too, in verse 3, when we run into pro problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. So God is wanting to develop something in you. When we celebrate Jesus, it allows God to develop endurance. Now, like you guys might be wondering what endurance is. Well, when I think about endurance, I think about Amy. Because Amy can run. She gets out and runs. And she'll run, uh, I don't know, Three, four hundred thousand miles a day. Um, it's way longer than I can. No, but she runs, and it takes endurance to run. Sometimes she'll get out and push our kids in a double stroller through our neighborhood that has hills, and I'm like, I don't get how her legs work. Like, for me, like I, I actually went and ran like I think it was 1.34 miles the other day, and I, I calculated it, and I'm like, that's about my limit, and like my legs hurt. For the rest of the day, I'm like, oh, how does she run five miles at a time or whatever she runs? But she trained herself. She didn't start like, I'm going to just start running. I'm going to go run a marathon. No, no, no. She has run. What, have you ran a marathon or half a marathon? 
you ran two half marathons. So technically it's a full marathon if you do the math with me. Um, but they were what, about seven or eight years apart? Um, but she didn't, like, what is a half marathon? I honestly don't know. 13.1 miles. You didn't just decide to do that. About six months before that, you decided to do that. And you went into strict training, and you started running. Like you, start, you started off like at half a mile to a mile. And then she just slowly built, and she built endurance in her legs. She built endurance to, to keep running. This last marathon she did... Um, there was this gentleman that was running it, and he had these awesome track shorts on. And he had this beautiful, full Fu Manchu. And a cowboy hat. A, uh, <laughs> he had a tank top. Um, and he had cowboy boots. And I loved it, because there at the end, here he comes sprinting past Amy. And I was like, Amy, don't you let him beat you. Don't you let him beat you. Of course, here I am just holding our daughter and playing with her because I'm not about to run a half marathon. So I had no room to talk. But he, come, he comes sprinting past her. I'm like, he's in cowboy boots. <laughs> like not, not even like the Ariat comfortable kind. I'm talking the ones with the curved heel, pointy. I'm like, they were straight up riding boots. And I'm like, don't let him pass you, Ames. You're a Tatham now. Long and Eggers can settle for that stuff. Like, but it, she built endurance. God's wanting to work in us. When we celebrate Jesus, it will remind us to rejoice in adversity because we know that God is working in us to build endurance. And endurance allows us to take on adversity head on because we know when we can celebrate Jesus, we can step back away from the situation and see God working. And then it reminds us of all the times that he's worked before. Every single time. And, and, and it keeps us from cowering away from stuff. When we celebrate Jesus, we can rejoice in adversity because we know God's work in endurance. And endurance strengthens our character. Character makes us like, he makes us rejoice in the cross and what God did for us. It always, like, whatever God works in you, he always points us back to what he's done for us. He always does. And, and, and usually it's the cross. He'll always point us back to the cross. It might be when he came through 10 years ago, when you were facing the same exact thing, and you didn't know how to handle it. God's like, I helped you then, I'll help you now. But God always points us back. It helps us rejoice in adversity. And also helps us take adversity head on, knowing that God is for us and God is with us. And you know what? I can weather this storm because God's developing my endurance. Man, there are times where I've, I have ran at distances. I've done obstacle, like 10-mile obstacle courses. And there are times where I thought my legs were going to collapse. But I knew that I just, just one more step, one foot in front of the other. Uh, and this, uh, this last week when we, we, we hiked Eight miles on the Appalachian Trail, and we meant to hike six. Two miles hiking is a big hiccup. Like, that's a big mess up. We went down the wrong trail. And we're like, I don't think this is right. And then we were literally going downhill the whole time. And we realized a mile into our mistake that we were wrong. And we had to walk back up. Walking downhill is a lot easier than walking uphill, just FYI. And we are already four miles into it. And I hit my limit about half a mile into it because I was carrying Payton. And um, so I started quoting the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And I'm not joking. I just like, kept pray. I was praying. I was like, and, and I, was, I was struggling. I know Amy was struggling, but she's like, how are you not? And because she was carrying Sky. And I'm like, honey, it's fine. It's, we're going to be okay. I didn't want to let her, you know, you never let your enemy see you bleed. Um, but no, I'm shook. But I was dying. But I, I didn't want her to see that because both of us can't be dying on the trail. Um, uh, and so, but I knew that I would develop endurance through it. And I could celebrate Jesus in it. And we couldn't just stop. We couldn't just give up. You can't give up in the middle of adversity. The Lord, this week, the Lord really laid a scripture on my 
my heart is, it's Proverbs 28.1. It says, the wicked run with no one chasing them. So, Ames, you've been jogging a lot. Um, no, I'm just, no, but the second part of that verse, other than the first part saying don't run, uh, the second part of the verse says, the righteous are as bold as lions. And I, I just re- really been chewing on that. Because as we celebrate Jesus, as we celebrate through adversity, we don't need to cower away from adversity. The righteous, we just read in Romans 5 that we are the righteousness of God. If we have right standing with God, that's what righteousness means. We should be bold. Like, you know what? COVID's not over, but I'm not going to live in fear. You know what? I don't know, you know, if, if you're laid off or you're, you know, like whatever that, I'm, I'm not going to, God's my provider. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to, that's, that righteous, that, that, that's that, the righteous are as bold as, we can only get that confidence from putting our hope and celebrating Jesus. The righteous are as bold as lions. That doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that we don't, we don't use wisdom or prudence we got to walk out our own salvation with fear and trembling. we got to work this out. But we celebrate Jesus through adversity. And when we do that, man, it, it, it empowers us. It strengthens us. It pushes us. It helps us. There was, a, there was a moment when I was in the hospital in 2012, and uh, I had brain surgery, and I was so bitter. I was so mad at God, and uh, I, w- I was mad, because they, they walked in with a walker, and they were like, hey, Ryan, uh, you need to start walking, and uh, this is not even a year out from playing basketball at the collegiate level, and I'm like, I don't need a walker. I take two steps. I collapse. Luckily, my dad and the nurse were there to pick up my awesome pink steady belt that they gave me. And um, then they said, no, you need to use a walker. I was so mad at God because I thought I would never be able to run, work out, do anything again. I thought my life was over. So funny how we sometimes let circumstances dictate what God can do through us. And um, I'm laying awake 20 hours a day. I had horrible neck pain. Like the fact that I had brain surgery, that didn't even hurt. My skull is still numb. Like, it's fine. In my neck, I tore ligaments and muscles in my neck. I didn't break any vertebrae, praise God. But my neck pain was so bad, it would keep me up 20 hours a week. And I had to wear a C-collar for 24 hours, seven days a week for three months, um, 24 hours a day. And I just remember laying there so bitter and mad at God. I was a young adults leader in a church down in Arkansas great church. I'm like, God, I'm trying to serve you, trying to pour it, help young adults go after you. Here I am, like, didn't not, I'm not running from you. Like, like I know God didn't cause my accident to happen, but I'm like, one, one day, um, they, they let me have, because at first they wouldn't let me have my phone. They wouldn't let me have anything, like, because I had a brain trauma, and they Sometimes, like, looking at screens can mess with stuff. And so they finally let me have my iPad back. And I was listening to a song by Casting Crowns, um, old song off of their live song album. And it talks about when I'm weak, then you're strong. When I'm blind, you shine your light on me. Um, Because I'll never get by living by my own ability. And I was listening to that, and I felt like the Lord told me to go read the end of Luke. And I was like, fine, God. And I went and read it. And what I saw was Jesus scourged, knelt to a cross, and having a conversation. Having a conversation with two thieves that deserved the punishment they were getting. Two criminals. And one was saying, you should get me down off of this if you're the son of God. The other one was saying, no, you don't know what you're saying. You, and he says, Jesus, remember me when when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it was one of those moments where I thought, 
My adversity is not as bad as Jesus' adversity. I'm in pain, but I'm not crucified. I don't have nails through my feet and my hands. I'm not suffocating and drowning on my own spit while being vertically displayed naked before people to be spit on. I haven't been scourged by the Roman army. And it was just this lovingly conviction of God that only he can do. And it reminded me that, you know what, I can rejoice and celebrate Jesus in adversity. And I said, okay, God, if you can, if you can witness and love someone while you are nailed and crucified to a cross, then I can. And I said, okay, God, use me while I'm in this hospital. And I, I no sooner prayed that, 20 minutes went by, and I get a new nurse. And that's not really all that uncommon. Nurses have shifts, but when you have brain trauma, uh, a lot of times, well, at least in this hospital, Mercy St. John's, they try to keep you with the same nurse, um, at least in, in those early morning moments and different things, and have consistency, because people who have brain injuries can be really mean. Just FYI, they, they, they can be. And so they, they want consistency. And I had a new nurse walk in and come to find out, you know, her marriage is falling apart. I don't know how we started talking about it, but I got to pray with her about her marriage. I got to, to pray with her and share the gospel with her. And, and like she asked me all these questions. She's crying. I'm crying because my neck is in so much pain. And, um, but then she, on the way out, it was this moment where she's turned and looked at me and she said, Ryan, you did more for me today than I could ever do for you. And I never saw her again the rest of my stay in the hospital. But it was this reminder and the Lord brought it to my memory is that when we celebrate him in adversity, he will use us in adversity. And he wants to. And God, God can do that in us. But so often we get so selfish. And I'm not saying adversity is easy. It's not. But when we learn to celebrate Jesus, it allows us to back away and say, okay, God, I know you're working something out. The second thought I want to leave you with is celebrating Jesus will remind us of his divine timing. And Paul says at just the right time, Christ came and died for us. We don't like his divine timing while we're going through it, do we? Because we always think when we're praying for something, God should have already answered that prayer, right? Like, I can't be the only one that's ever thought that. While you're in the thick of something, while you're frustrated about something, and you're praying, you always, like, you, it's this ten, tendency to think, God, why haven't you answered this yet? But when we step back, and we celebrate Jesus, this becomes who we are, not something we do. It becomes who we are. I'm a person that celebrates Jesus. It allows us to once again step back from our situation and to say, God, I know you're working something out. I know that every single time, and it reminds us of every single time he's came through. I guarantee you that if I were to interview every person in this room, I was, or almost every person in this room, you would have a story of how God's came through. And in, while you were going through it, you thought it was the wrong time, but in hindsight, you're like, that was the right time. Like, I've never met someone who said God came through at the wrong time. I've never met them. Every single time God's come through for me, it's always been the right time. Right when I need him. Like, just like the only timing God works in is just the right time. And I, 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 like, but it never seems like the right time while you're in the thick of it. It never seems like the right time. When I was in college, I was engaged um, to another woman. And um, I was praying that we would have a healthy marriage. And so often, uh, I'm so glad that God didn't answer those prayers. Because God came through at the right time to give me exactly what I needed. If God would have answered those prayers, I promise you this, I wouldn't be your pastor. 
And everyone's like, oh, man, God, why? No, no uh, uh, I might not even be in ministry. But God has a bigger plan and a bigger uh, idea for your life, a bigger uh, uh, a will for your life than you could ever imagine. And so when we celebrate Jesus, it reminds us of his divine time. And, and so often it, 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 it helps us celebrate it help, celebrating Jesus, it helps us celebrate all the prayers that he didn't answer. Like, as many times as I thank God for every prayer he answered, I probably have two or three, maybe four or five prayers that he didn't answer. And in hindsight, I'm so glad that he didn't answer. Because guess what? If, I, if he would have answered every prayer um, that I've prayed, I wouldn't be married to the most amazing, beautiful woman on earth. I wouldn't have two, uh, two of the cutest, if not the cutest kids on earth. I'm pretty partial. I think they're the cutest. I, I know my life would look completely different. And I, I, I started, I personally, about a month ago, I started making a list of all the prayers that I prayed consistently in my life that God said no to or wait. And I've been, I've been trying to actively thank God for those prayers. Because they're just as powerful as the ones that he did answer. They really are. I, I thank God for the ones he answered. I prayed for a, a, I prayed for a godly a woman. I prayed for one, a, a wife that would push me. Um, literally, she pushed me up against the wall all the time. Pray for me, guys. I'm joking. No, she, but she, she pushes me to be more than what I can on my own. And God answered that. But he answered that, and he... he he, answer, he was able to answer that because um, he didn't answer the first one. You know what I'm saying? Celebrating Jesus allows us or reminds us of his divine timing. God has a timing for your life. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to, there's a time to celebrate. There's a time for everything. And when we celebrate Jesus, it reminds us of every single time he's always come through. But it's always hard to see those moments if all we're looking at is right now. Oh man, this is a bad season. 2020 is worse. Man, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. You know, like Pastor Ben so geniusly and amazingly summed up 2020 last year and then the sandstorms and then this week, God's already he gave me a gold nugget last night when Kanye West said he was going to run for president. I'm like, thank you, 2020. You can't get any better. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, but if we're always focused right here and right now, and it's hard to celebrate everything that came before and what we believe God's going to do forward. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we just got to sit back and say, Jesus, I'm going to celebrate you regardless. I'm going to, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to let this be who I am, and I'm going to thank you for every prayer you didn't answer. I'm going to thank you for every prayer that you did answer. I'm going to celebrate you, period. And then we'll see, wow, Jesus, you came through right at the right time. And guess what? 2020 is no exception to that. He's going to come through right at the right time in your life. I promise you. I promise you it's going to be the right time. And the last thought I want to, to leave you with is celebrating Jesus will remind us that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. Right here at the end of Romans chapter 5, in that whole contrast between Adam and Jesus, he makes this contrast, and what I really think that he's saying is that Jesus is more than enough for you and for your sin. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter the insecurities you're, fa you're facing, because some of us, it might not be sin. It might just be insecurity. It might be inadequacy. You, you might, there, there might be all sorts of emotional things that are going on. It's not really sin, but you're like, ah, God, it's causing anxiety, and I don't know 
how is this going to play out? And let me tell you, Jesus is more than enough for that. He's more than enough to meet you right in the middle of what you're going through right now. If it's a physical problem, Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough. His sacrifice is more than enough to cover for your healing. In fact, the Bible teaches that multiple times that Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our sin was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And then Peter turns around, and in one of his epistles, I believe it's 2 Peter, he turns around and says, by Christ's stripes we are healed. He even puts a name on it. He, he's more than enough. And, it, and, and so often we, when, we, when we think the word healing, we get caught up on the physical. Physical is one just minute thing about healing. I think most people need healing and they don't even know they need healing. And it's not a physical healing they need. I think some people are emotionally scarred. Some people are, are, are uh, psychologically scarred. And they, they don't, like, those are the things that, that people don't want to talk about. It's easy to see that, that, you know, when someone walks in with a limp or an eye patch or a bruise or something like that or a sneeze or a cough. I'm just joking. I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. But it's easy. It's easy to focus on those things. But it's hard to see when the person's putting on a facade on and they're hurting and they feel like no one loves them and they're emotionally scarred. Jesus is more than enough because he loves you. And when we get to the point where we can celebrate Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And we just remind ourselves of his great love for us. And we celebrate his great love for us. It's amazing what that will do. There was a season in my life when I was in high school that I was so depressed. I didn't know who to talk to about it. But I was really thinking suicide might be the best option for me. Would anyone even miss me if I'm gone? And I truly believe that it was Jesus that steadied my hand and steadied my heart because what I did was I didn't know how to celebrate Jesus because I was so depressed. Man, I went to church. And here's the thing. I grew up in church. I didn't have, I didn't have a, a bad parents. My parents are my heroes. They were here over Father's Day. I, I, I uh, if anything, my older sisters beat me up a lot, but that's typical for an annoying brother. Um, I had a good childhood, but I didn't know how to process the shame of my addiction to porn. And I couldn't feel like I could talk to my dad about it. I didn't know what freedom looked like, and I'm trying, and like, the, my church didn't deal with this, and, and, and I, I know, in hindsight, I know I could have talked to my youth pastor, I know I could have, but I didn't because shame kept me inside and, and kept it to myself. And, and James clearly says, he says we confess our sins one to another so we can be healed. Jesus is more than enough. And what, what happened, what stayed in my hand, what stayed in my mind in that season, it was really bad between my junior and senior year of high school that summer. What stayed in my heart was I, I determined in my heart, I'm going to read my Bible every night, and I'm going to pray every night. I felt worthless, and no one knew. I felt like no one cared. And that was such the opposite of the truth. I had parents that loved me and prayed for me every day. But when we're hurting and when we don't know how to celebrate Jesus, it leads to all sorts of lies filtering into our mind and we start believing them over the word of God. That's why it's so important to celebrate Jesus because it reminds us that he's more than enough. And in that time, I just said, okay, God, I'm going to praise you. 
I'm going to praise you despite how I feel. I did not feel like it. I'm going to read my Bible despite how I feel. I did not feel like it. And quite frankly, sometimes I still don't feel like it. But I know that when I step in to God's word and meditate on it, it allows me to step back from the situation and say, wow, God, you love me. Whether this whole world hates me, you love me. Whether, whether I have anxiety, you have peace. If I have depression, you have joy. God has the answer for what you're going through. I, I, I know that's such a Sunday school answer. Oh, Jesus is more than enough. But he is. I'm literally a living testimony to what he can do when we determine in our hearts, I'm going to celebrate him. And when we finally come to the point where we can say, I'm going to confess this. I confessed it. And suddenly I saw freedom in my life. I didn't even know God offered. I heard about it my whole life. But God, in his mercy, revealed to me through his people and his word that he's more than enough. And I'm here to tell you today that I wasn't even planning on sharing that. God just told me to. God is more than enough for what you're going through. There are people in here today that are going through things that we don't even know about. And we can't just go on. Because it will destroy you. Silence is the enemy of truth. Silence is the enemy. When, when God says confess, the enemy says keep it secret. But you can't celebrate quietly. And I believe what's going to happen today. I truly believe. We're going to go into a time of celebration. But man, some, some people need to come. And, and I know, I know. Some people need to come and pray. Some people need to come and get prayer. But we're going to go into a time of celebration. And I believe shackles are going to fall. I believe that, that there is a, this is a time for confession. This is a time for confession. Get things out in the open. Give it to God. James says, we, we confess our sins. Whether it be a sin or not, confess it because the enemy... Your enemy is trying to keep you, keep it secret. He's saying, don't say this to anyone. Everyone thinks you have it all together. Everyone's going to judge you. No, we're not. We're going to celebrate Jesus with you because it's only Jesus that can bring freedom from what you're going through. So um, I want to ask us all to stand and I want to give some clear instructions. If you're going, if you're going through it today, if you're having a hard time with some stuff today, um, um, Amy, can you, can you come up here? Amy and myself are going to be up here. Um, I want, if you need prayer and you need to confess, we're going to be up here. We're going to pray with you. And if, 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 you, if you're in the, if you're in the like, I don't want to get close, I'm still trying to social distance, I respect that. Please come see us after service. At least let's talk. Okay, if you don't want to do it in this moment. But also, I would encourage you, if you need prayer, or you need to just pray, your seats are your altar. Turn around and meet with God. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. But what we're going to do today, Ben, ben and I, we've been listening to this song, and we believe it captures what, what we want to do as C1. And it reminds us, celebrating Jesus reminds us, I gave you three overflows of celebrating Jesus. There's so many more. Celebrating Jesus reminds us that he's more than enough. And I believe the song's going to remind you that he's more than enough. If you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, let me tell you, Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough for your sin. You can't get to God on your own, but Jesus stepped into humanity. We just read it in Romans chapter 5, and he died in our place to give us a friendship with God that we can't get on our own. And the only way to accept that is to confess. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross and that you rose again. Come be Lord of my life. The Bible says we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, then we are saved. 
and you saved us from an eternal hell. And if that is you, if that is you, please, please, I would love to make that introduction. Maybe you're, you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Please, we would want to reintroduce you. But let me let me encourage you. Don't don't waste this opportunity to celebrate Jesus. Don't waste this, waste this opportunity of celebrating Jesus, of letting it remind you of what He's done, what He can do. Let's celebrate.